Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, DJs and DJs of the future. This episode of the podcast is supported by Bitwax, the online record store that accepts cryptocurrencies as a form of payment alongside standard card payments. I used to own a record shop many years ago and still have some of my vinyl collection in the studio today. There's nothing better than receiving your favorite new track through the post, peeling off the plastic and actually touching the music. Go to www.bitwax.co.uk and treat yourself today. You can find more episodes of this podcast, including chats with James Hype, Ben Hemsley, Night Funk, Nathan C, Vanilla Ace, and many, so many more. You can find them on iTunes and Spotify and now, including this very episode on YouTube for that full video experience. Simply search Felix Leiter in the house or visit youtube.com forward slash DJ Felix Leiter. And don't forget to subscribe and hit the notifications bell because there's a wicked new episode every goddamn week. In this episode of the podcast, I speak to Got Some about growing up in the melting pot of music and culture that was Bristol in the 90s, 2000s. From raves to record shops, dub plates to getting sacked, his story enthralled and educated me. He has some wicked stories from Coxie at Burning Man to his version of Pump It Up and everything that went on behind the scenes with that. This is easily in my top five favourite podcasts ever. You'll not be disappointed. So let's get into it. Felix Leiter's In The House, the podcast about DJs, what they do and who they are. Show. How are you today, sir? I'm good. It's uh, Monday morning and it's uh, November and it's cold. <laughs> yeah, you've got a hat on, man. Uh, I was just, I was just talking about that. Like, I put one up with Ben Hemsley this morning. We chatted last yeah. week, and I was just mm-hmm. saying, like, there's something about those dark nights. Like every year, I somehow forget that it's pitch black at four p.m. And every year, without fail, I'm like, it's this isn't. Is it like this every year? Four o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> do we do we even need to have daylight saving anymore? That's what I need tonight. I mean, don't get me wrong. If you live in in Scotland or something, I, I'm with you. But <laughs> I live in Bristol. Do we need to have daylight saving? <laughs> is it is it beneficial for ev- anyone at all? Well, when they, I mean, I have to say, obviously, this year's has been greatly different for 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 a lot of people, but for DJs in particular. And mm. my my life has been been a lot different. And on, I think it was Saturday morning, I was on my bike like about eight thirty five uh, a.m. and it was beautiful. It was like it was no one around. I was getting yeah. some exercise. Now, normally, yeah. I'd just be like getting in at eight thirty five on Saturday. Same, exactly the same. <laughs> Exactly the same. It was mad. It was mad on a walk um, with two of my mates yesterday, um, just outside Bristol. And uh, the first thing I said was like, "I've been hung over in a hotel room for at least ten years." I'm um, Sunday yeah. morning. I am hung over in a hotel room, panicking how I'm going to get back to Bristol from wherever, whether I be in Newcastle or um, you know uh, Manchester Warehouse Project or whatever. I'm just like, how am I going to get home? I'm so hungover. And now I'm like, now I'm like 8.30 in the morning and I'm ringing my pals up going, can we go and take your dog for a walk? (laughs) Like, what the hell? 
I've been sort of joking with my my mum mainly because she would obviously have, have commented on this this hungover thing, and I was like, "It's amazing what you can get achieved when you're not as as hungover in a year." Yeah, <laughs> she's yeah, like, yeah, "I have yeah. been trying to tell you this for about <laughs> fifteen years." Yeah, but, um, I mean, I, I welcome back those anxiety ridden plane and train journeys. Like, I would, you know, I would give anything to be, you know, getting on a plane or a train this weekend and heading off and doing gigs. So I certainly yeah. certainly will not. Be We'll be happy to get them back. Um, I want to do. I, go on, go yeah. I just kind of feel like what you were just saying. Then I'm like, I just feel that everything happens for a reason. So like, we're all going. Like, I've been lucky enough to play my music around the world and DJ in all these amazing places. And now I'm lucky enough to be at home. Like I spent a lot again, like the last ten years, going. Oh, I wish I could spend. Um, you know, weekend and see my pals and go to my mate's birthday and stuff, uh, or or like, you know, even just go for a walk with my pal when it's his birthday. Um, and and before I didn't have a choice, so I'm kind of living in the moment at the moment and accepting what it is, and also having the time in the studio to write tunes and to get ideas down and go. You know what? When it comes back, it comes back, and please let me have enough time to make it real good for when it does come back if that makes sense i think that makes a, a lot of sense and I'll, I'll definitely clip that off because it's a it's it's exactly the way that i think about it and it's a great way to to look at this time and it leads me on to like i guess the question i've been asked i've been interested to ask a lot of djs at this point is has it changed what you've been writing has it changed the sort of music that you've been writing the last six seven months or have you just have you doubled down yeah. on what you were making before or is it giving you a no. whole new sort of freedom and, and inspiration i think it's funny because when um we started got some it was many well it's about five six years ago now um it was like wrote baseline and obviously with baseline it was like that's what made got some got some and um initially it was just like it was like uh it was a vocal tune with a bass line you know what i mean it was simple but it, it had that crossover crossover vibe and then um after that i got into djing more and i became more of a club dj and i started writing club music and um started getting involved in the bass line thing and bass house and all of the things that were going on at that time um so i never really got time to think about it and then the older and older and older I got, I was like, right, you know, what am I going to do now? What what am I actually into? Like, maybe I'm not really into that high impact bassy stuff anymore. Maybe I'm more into some techno or maybe I'm more into like some deeper house stuff. So I kind of like, um, over the last two years, I kind of threw that around a bit. You know, I wrote house tunes on Nervous and King Street and stuff like that. And then I wrote some more sort of vocal stuff on Armada and, and then I and then I started doing some throwback American stuff on um on Ultra in America, you know. So I was sort of like trying to work that out. And then obviously when lockdown happened, it was like, right, um, I don't really have a choice. There's no clubs open, you know. So what what do I want to do? And it's like then I started um I did this thing at the start of lockdown. I set uh, my laptop up on my kitchen table and I just like started sampling random stuff. And I was like, oh, wow, this is cool. I had a little like um, machine or whatever on, on the table and I was just like banging things. And I was like, this is cool. And I ended up writing like 10 beats. Um, and I just ended up like hitting singers up. And I was like, oh, you know, um, 
continuous beat. And then randomly, like, people started sending sending stuff back to me, and I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, I haven't got a manager, I haven't got an agent. It was like, it was like real DIY, kind of like MySpace time. It was like, if you're into something, call that person up and say, you know what, I'm, I'm really into you. Here's some stuff. If you're into me, hit me back. And then, um, yeah, things just started started going. And within that, I guess that's where I wrote Caught in Your Rhythm, um, which was my latest release. That, yeah. yeah, with Clem. That came out on Tour Room. Again, it was just one of those things. It was like I was sitting on my kitchen table. I wasn't in a studio. So I was like, right, this is what I'm going to do. Um, be proactive um, and try and reach out to people and see what comes back. And that's kind of what came back. Well, you, you, so I mean, you, you, yeah. you're, that tune inspired me to reach out to Clem and I've done something yeah. with her. Yeah. But the way you've just Thanks. described that is exactly how I felt. Like suddenly I'm not playing in a club every, every Friday and Saturday. Suddenly I'm not feeling the pressure to write records during the week to play every Friday and Saturday in, in those clubs, mm. like those high energy yeah. clubs. And then yeah. exactly what you've just said is so funny. There must be so much amazing music to come out next year because I'm imagining yeah. a lot of producers have done the same thing. And I yeah. was like, I think I was driving to the shops about a month ago and um, Tidal Wave came on by Subfocus. And yeah, I was yeah. just like, and I was like, I forgot how much I love this record. Yeah. I spent like a week tracking down the girl who like wrote the vocal and sang the vocal, Catherine. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah, we yeah. just done like, I sent her this chair. I was like, I've written this piano thing. Like, I'd love it yeah. if you could take a listen. And she was like, oh, I love yeah. it too. Let me like, let me write a vocal. And it's like, so you've just totally described what I've been yeah, doing yeah, yeah, the yeah. last like few months. I think also, um, obviously when you're touring and, and stuff, you kind of like end up, maybe relying on the team around you or managers or um or remix people or publishers and stuff like that and i just feel the more and more i've gone into lockdown and gone into this year the more and more i'm like you know what i've got i've i've been in this scene long enough to know who i know and call people up and be like also like it's really nice when you reach out to other artists and, and, and show them love and appreciate their music, you know? Yeah. That's really important. And that's what, like, a lot of people have kind of, I guess, within the internet have kind of forgotten to do. Yeah. And I think that's cool. Like, I'm especially being from Bristol, like, I'm surrounded by amazing creative and amazing musicians. Yeah, there's a couple of people that, that, that I've done that with recently. Like, I think I got a promo from... Adelphi Music Factory, and yeah, I was just sure, like, it just sure. made my day. And I was like, yeah. I just hit them up. I just DM'd them on Instagram. Was like, I was yeah. like, I shared it and stuff on my story. And then yeah, I just yeah. hit them up, going, guys, like, this record's just made my fucking day. Like, thank you. <laughs> you know, yeah, it wasn't yeah, like yeah, yeah. there was no other. Like, it wasn't a networking thing. It wasn't like, oh, bro, let's collab. It was just, yeah, guys, yeah. thank you for making my day. Like, this record yeah, has yeah, been, yeah. and you know, and they just they wrote back and were just like, thanks, man, glad you like it. And do you know yeah. what I mean? And I did it with, um, is it is it Lee Killington? Like, he put something up the other day with yeah, yeah. the lovely Laura. And again, I just reached yeah. out to him and was like, man, this record's just just really yeah. made my day. Like, it's just. And, but it, yeah, I, I, I just think it's so important to do that because everyone's going through the ups and downs um, yeah. within their lives at the minute and I just think it's really as a fellow creative I think it's so important to call someone up and go you're really into what you're doing like carry on doing what you're doing because it's cool 
Yeah, nice man. But well, let's go. Let's go back to the to to the beginning. Let's take you way back, way back before I've got some, way back before DJing, yeah. way back before yeah. producing. I want to go all yeah. the way back to the to your early formative, you know, younger child self. And I just want to find out where those original musical influences came from. What was what was on in the house? Was it parents? Have you got older brothers and sisters? Like, what were those first yeah. bits of music that you can remember seeping into your ears when you were a, a young a young guy? Um, my dad used to when I was really young. My dad used to work for WH Smiths. I think at like Christmas time, and then I, I think at Christmas he bought me a drum kit, and uh, my mum was so annoyed by it. She's like, <laughs> "Oh my god, why did you buy my drum kit?" And then I just used to wake up every morning and just bang, just like that. And you know what? I don't know how to play the drums. I still don't know how to play the drums. Um, but that was like the first thing. And then um, I used to watch Top of the Pops, showing my age now. I used to watch Top of the Pops uh, with my dad. Um, and me- music in the 90s was just so great, basically. Um, and then uh, my mum, I used to go like hang out with my mum on Sundays, and she used to play reggae to me. Her couple of her friends, I mean, she was in the Bristol scene in the 80s, um, doing sort of arty stuff, and she was... Um, she was in she used to do press and stuff like that in uh in in bristol so that was kind of active and she knew a few djs in the 80s that um did her like mixtapes so i used to hear like acid house and reggae um and like early hip-hop it's really funny when i was a kid um they just used to call everything that they used to go raving to hip-hop so we're, we're all like it was it was just all part it was like Hip hop and house. They were, it was just like an amalgamation. Um, and I remember hearing the Jungle Brothers, and I also remember hearing um, Eric B and Rakim paid in full. And that was like when I was so small. And I just remember that paid in full changed my life. It was like, that was the first tune I think I listened to on loop. I was like, wow, this is amazing. Um, and then, yeah, I got really into reggae because reggae music was like Sunday. And then obviously being from Bristol and then seeing Massive Attack, it was all like that whole sound trip-hop thing was sort of amalgamated. And then when I was like, had enough time to think on my own two feet, I was all all of a sudden in the rave times. And um, I used to go around to my mate Lawrence's house and his older brother, this kid called Greg, he used to skate and, um, and used to go to raves. I used to, he was going to like world dance and dreamscape and <clears throat> um, all them big raves in the nineties in the Southwest. <clears throat> and I remember, <clears throat> excuse me. I remember one day uh, hearing this uh, coming out of his room and I was like, what the hell is this? I was like playing Sega or something. <clears throat> and I ran into his room. This is Greg's room at the time. And I was like, yo, what's this music? And he's like, be back in an hour. And he like, gave me a tape of, uh, I think it was LSD at Universal something. And uh, I went home and I just listened to that until the ta- tape wore out. Um, and that was kind of it, really. And then I was just like, into that, I would go to all the shops every Saturday and try and buy tape packs. Because <clears throat> obviously I was too young to get into the raves. Um, so and then I, I kind of found out about all the... Um, all the rave tunes from then, because obviously you didn't have Shazam then, so it was like, it was like what happened is you like 
you listen to the tape again and again and again, you were like, oh, I like that tune. You remember that tune and you could hum it, basically. Um, and then one of my mates, Albion, who's a little bit older than me, he bought some Technics. Um, and he was like, he was fully into hip hop. So he was like listening to Tribe, um, De La Soul and Biggie. Nice. Uh, so I used to go around his house after school and basically just jizz on the decks and just be <laughs> like, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to learn. And, and and we used to do this thing where we used to get like um, two copies of one tune and we used to get like a Rizzler and put the Rizzler in and, and, and you'd do it on a kick or a snare and then you would like like double it and just I just learned how to do doubles and that was it I didn't know how to DJ at all I didn't know how to beat match or anything and it was funny and then um, and then I started trying to beat match so I was beat matching hip hop and uh I guess early jungle at the time. And um and I, I realized my mate told me that I was mixing off the snare. And I was like, how am I, how am I actually mixing snare to snare? And that like blew my mind when someone told me I had to mix off the kick. <laughs> and I was like and then I was like, wow. And um I was working at a supermarket at the time. Um and I was just working overtime. I think it was over Christmas or like summer. And I worked non-stop to get my own set of technics um and that was it really and then and then i just um would just be a record shop um bitch i would say i would just hang out outside record shops and wait for the promos to turn up and then basically if it wasn't there i would sing to the record shop guy no 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 or like you know whatever it was it was like it was like oh you know, it's like Warhead or something like that. I would just sing, you know, you, you know, and then, um, and then well, let me stop. Let me stop you there. Cause yeah. you've, you've yeah. almost answered like the first quarter of my questions in that. Let's do a recap. Let's do a recap. Yeah. No, no, I love that man. But I'm just going to, I'm going to take, cause I, I get interested in, in putting people's stories, which is obviously why I do this. So yeah. one of the things I wanted to ask you was like, you may have already answered this like with the tape or whatever, but yeah. do you remember the first piece of music that was, that was yours physically? Like either you bought it or it was given to you. Like, was it that tape or did you have something before? Nah, was... nah, my dad my dad was really good at this. Like um he was buying me records like from quite a young age. Okay. My first um thing that he went to buy me, this is showing my age as well, is Run DMC Raising in Hell, which I believe um Rick Rubin produced and uh it was an absolute banger. And it came out on London Records, I think, if I'm geeky enough to know. Um and then one around the same time which is not so cool but i've got a good story to go with it yeah was culture culture club karma chameleon nice yeah which, what's which, 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 culture club is boy george obviously yeah so my story about boy george is that i was on tour in asia um about 10 years ago and i ended up doing two or three shows with boy george right um and he's amazing um but yeah he he's uh he's he's great um and i told him that he he i bought his he was my first seven inch that i got and we were in um we were in phuket at the time randomly 
And uh, yeah, we had a very, it was my birthday and they took me out for dinner and we had lobster. And uh, I think I seem to remember him falling asleep at dinner. <laughs> so sometimes, sometimes people say never meet your hero. But big ups, boy George, because I've got so much love um, and respect for the guy. Uh, well, well, my I, I might have mentioned it on the podcast before, but a long time ago. Yeah. The first, the first, my first bits of music that I I remember kind of buying and owning and touching and then being mine, like not just my mum's yeah. that I was playing. I went yeah. to I went to I think it was I think it was I think it was Woolworths, and my mum said you can have two you have two seven inch because you had the turntable yeah. in the house. Yeah, yeah, two yeah. seven inch, and again, so we're probably going to show similar ages here. I went yeah. for um, Do the Bartman, um, which was a seven inch, obviously. Yeah, yeah I remember that. Real purple cover with Bart yeah. on it, amazing. Yeah, and yeah. also, I got um, I got Danger Zone, which was the Kenny yeah. Logan's Top Gun yeah. theme. So yeah, yeah, I, I remember. I, I mean, I'd love to meet. I'd love to meet Kenny Logan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> it's yeah, unlikely yeah. though. Yeah, wow. But yeah, I watched was... to- I watched Top Gun um, a couple of weeks ago. Actually, oh, it's a beast. It was amazing. Yeah, I can't yeah, believe yeah, they're yeah. going to release. Aren't they going to release like a Top Gun two soon? That just seems yeah, like something you shouldn't that. do. Yeah, that just seems do like that. something you shouldn't do. So um, we, yeah. we talked about. Obviously, you got you got your friend got decks. When were you yeah. sort of before your friend got the decks? Obviously, you talked, which is really interesting about your mum being involved in the Bristol scene and stuff. So you were kind yeah. of really aware of DJs from like a really really young age. Um, yeah. Were you seeing my mum used to hang out with? It's quite. Like relevant really my mum used to hang out with this dj called west one and um uh and she he she he um she was born a man and uh and and then went through the processes and this was obviously quite taboo at the time um and i don't know if she's still around but yeah dj west one and uh she used to play at lakota and all the you know the big underground sort of house clubs in the 80s and 90s and she yeah my so my mum used to do um club decor back in the day when when it was like when it was like a new thing it was like they used to have like obviously camouflage nettings and she used to do slides you know where you do like mad arty pictures on size kind of like um kind of throwback to what new york did i guess you know so kind of like yeah like Andy Warholy kind of pop party stuff, and that used to go on the wall behind the DJ, you know. So that was obviously I didn't have a clue about that. I was like a wee kid at this point, you know. So, um, but obviously, I would hear the music. I heard the tapes. I remember hearing um, "Break for Love" by yeah, Rays. Rays. Yeah, I remember that thing. Um, obviously, not at the time, but and then obviously growing up. Um, and hearing that and being going, like, oh, I remember hearing that when I was a kid. And also, I remember like, um, uh, I remember my mum getting uh, babysitters, and I remember waking up and the babysitter leaving, and my mum coming back from the club, and uh, she would ha- have her friends round, and they always used to sit in the garden, and I, and I used to wake up in the middle of the night and hear like it, oh, my mum having the afters. You know I mean, but I didn't have a clue. I was like a wee kid babysitter's gone wake up and i'll do a break for love and that and i'd be like whoa this is like i like you know i liked it and then i just chipped off back to bed but you know that that was sort of like you know i was lucky enough to have that around i guess you know that's wicked i think you i mean you mentioned there about your mum doing the art and stuff and i it's something that it's something that i'm sure there are clubs around the world that that do this still but 
I'm I'm I get frustrated that art doesn't seem to be as involved with with club culture as it was like the yeah. you know, those those times around like you know maybe the late 90s but also through the 2000s that it just yeah. felt like club flyers and club artwork and club decor in some respects had a bigger link to to the art to I art, mean, not it, just music it, and club it, flyers it was recently new, it was new been, wasn't it? it it was new it was new it was new and there was no internet so yeah. The whole the whole culture thing was culture. It was like you would go to an art gallery and an art gallery at that time would be similar to going to a rave. Yeah. It's that same creative hot pot. It's like a melting pot of creativity. And now it's like it's such a business because of Instagram and because um it's quite hard for culture to breathe now because it's like back in the day it was like you had a fresh pair a shirt on or a fresh um, pair of trainers on and you went to a rave and that was the thing. But now it's like some kid will see your fresh pair of trainers on Instagram and they're going to go and buy them. Same thing with, say, um, something in, say El Row. We all went to El Row when it first started, right? And it was like El Row was like, no one had seen anything like El Row. Like, it was like a massive carnival, you know? And then within like six months, because of Instagram and because of Insta stories, everyone around the world knew what it was. So that everyone wanted to be there and see it. So the whole art of being creatively cool and underground kind of like skipped a beat then. It just jumped. So it's like it's quite hard now to, to find that like pocket. I don't yeah. know if that makes sense at all. No, it makes a lot of sense, and I think it's it's something that that I, we talk about with different guests all the time, which is that juxtaposition between yeah you know, the time in the past where it was the the gatekeeper, it was much harder to become an international DJ and producer because yeah. Yeah, the cost yeah, yeah. of the equipment and, and you know and everything else. So on one hand, it's removed so many things that were in the way of people it's so much easier to put a party on now it's so much easier to make music now but because yeah. of that there's so much more of it which in a way yeah. devalues it it was something that you know scott we talked to scott diaz quite a lot about and he was mm -hmm. saying we should all make half as much music but it should be double as good but we're sort yeah. of forced into you know make creating content all i mean we're doing it now creating content all the time because you're just feeding the beast do you know what i mean which is content 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 yeah, because if you're not relevant, you're not going to get the shows, are you? Yeah. And that's where that's where most DJs earn their living, you know. Yeah. So, it's like that's why it's got to be. It's got to be. There's, you know, I go through times of writing a song, every, releases coming out every three weeks. Like, would I choose to do that? I don't know. But then, then I've gone through times of being touring for two years, and I put like one tune out a year and it's like is that acceptable either you know but <laughs> there's got to be a balance somewhere um so let's take yeah so let's take you to, to to the point in your life where you are working overtime to save up to get a pair of decks and that's like and they're expensive man like you know when you're a kid and like you know and you don't have a lot of money you know i i would i mean what were we talking about was it 800 quid a thousand pounds for two decks yeah about eight, yeah yeah but something like that yeah and it's, that's, that's yeah, a but, lot. Of, it's a lot of money for like, yeah. and that's a lot of hours, like an overtime. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So if I take you back to that period in, in your life, what are you thinking about now? Are you thinking about I need to get gigs? Are you thinking like nah. this is, right? So what, what's nah. going through your head at nah. this time? It's it's not that at all. It's completely different now. It's like what it was then. It was like it was like working all week, 
and then you go to the record shop on Thursday, Friday, get your five records um, that you heard on a tape pack or on the radio, on pipe radio, whatever. And then you would go and you'd practice them tunes, five tunes again and again to work out which ones you could double drop, which ones um, sonically went together. Because you didn't have record box. You didn't have mixed in key saying that's um, a B sharp and can that B sharp go to A minor or da 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 da. I mean, you actually had to sit there and go, does that tune work? I didn't get the whole double dropping thing. I would go and see Andy C. And I'd be like, how the heck is he doing that? And then I'd start working out how to count bars and stuff. And that like blew my mind as well. So, Same. you know, that, that was the thing. I, I think back then it was just like you had, it was like, it was just an art. It was like, you had to learn now. It's like, now it's like you write um, a big t- tune, then you put it in record box and then you work out uh, B minor, B minor. And then you go, shoot, I need to go and get a gig now so I can show everyone that I can DJ. <laughs> I don't know. And it's like, I think, nah, yeah, I think, I think yeah. it's a really nice point that you make. And because I asked that question to a lot of people, and, and now I guess it's because my mind's like that, your mind's probably programmed like that, which is like make record, release record, get gig, do gig, write better record, release on bigger yeah. label, get bigger gig. But what's yeah. really nice that you've just said there is, and it made me think of it, was like, it's just that working for the weekend thing, which is like yeah. I work all week to have the money to buy my new records, to buy a new yeah. shirt, to go to a rave, to play my records at the afters after the rave, and yeah, then I feel, yeah. and then I feel shit, then I do it all again. And there was yeah. there was a nice, there was definitely a nice innocence about that. Like there's no there's no money in it. So, I mean, even <laughs> even when um, I watched something about Cole Cox, and he was like, he was like, oh mate, I was going to loads of raves, and uh, I turned up and I play my records, and and they'll be like. 10,000 people there and then a woman gave me 150 quid and I was like and I was buzzing about it you know what I mean like he was buzzing about that and now like if you there's certain producers out there that will like write a beat port 100 and they're like they'll they'll be gutted if they don't get a grant do you know what I mean it's like so it's uh it's definitely a funny time so what are those what are those first <coughs> steps then like what are those first steps that that change you from being a kind of a you know a living for the weekend like buying your records what is the first steps on the journey of becoming um, a a dj becoming an artist like what are those first yeah. steps it's quite it's quite funny actually um what one of the i was like again lucky enough to be around the whole um drum and bass and jungle scene when i was quite young and um i used to go skateboarding when i was a kid and used to meet up with a load of Bristol heads when I was skateboarding. One of those Bristol heads was um, a, a producer and DJ called DJ Die. Um, and we kind of like skated together, uh, partied loads. We were just pals from when I was young. He was a lot older than me. Um, he kind of brought me in at the time when him and Ronnie and Crust and they, you know, if you know about drum and bass, not like they were doing represent and full cycle, their record label and crew. And, uh, one of the things that really like changed my spectrum and idea about what I wanted to do was watching, I guess him, Ronnie and Crust at the time, going to go and skateboarding on Monday or Tuesday, going around the studio. And this was at the time where they were like, just starting to get big and um seeing them and they'd be like oh we're playing at fabric the fabric had just opened 
And they're like, we're playing at Fabric on Friday. And it was like, and for me, it was like, wow, Fabric. Like, you know, this was an amazing thing. And then um, and they would do this thing where they would go in the studio every day from Tuesday, Monday to Thursday. And they would smash out like loads of tunes, try and do as many as possible. And then what they would do is on um, Thursday night, Friday morning, they would drive to London to Music House, which was the cutting house. Yeah. Where you would go and go and cut your dub plates, right? And um, and then they would be in the queue outside of music house at like nine a.m. or whatever, being like, "Oh my god, we got to go cut our dub plates before we DJ on Friday night." And um, and then you would see like Groove Rider and see, <coughs> excuse me, DJ Hype and everyone, and they would like skip the queue, and you see their face running in. Dice faces be like, oh my god, I've been waiting there all morning. And Groove Rider, Goldie just walked in and be like, oh <laughs> God, gutted, like pissed. Um, and then you see them with get their dub plates, go to the show, play their music. And for me, like that was a real inspiration because that was like, I want to be a DJ now, or I want to make music and. I want to have that feeling that I made that music on Monday and I went on Friday to the rave and a thousand people told me to rewind it or they appreciated my music that I made on Monday. And um, yeah, got mad respect for that. So that was, a t- to answer your question, that was the main turning point. I was like, yeah, I, I want that. I think that's a wicked story, man. Like there's such lovely nostalgia about that whole like, I mean, there's so many facets in that little story there alone that I really love. I love the idea that, you know, you guys, the crew are going down from Bristol to London to be, you know, in Fabric, which is, you know, an absolute monster UK club, you know. If, if yeah. not, I mean, hopefully everyone's aware of it, but if you're not, go and check it out. <coughs> yeah, I love that idea. Like you said, it's something that doesn't happen now. I love that idea of going and getting your music put onto vinyl to, yeah, to yeah. take to the club. And then, like yeah. you say, you sum it up at the end where you're just like, then there's that epic moment where the music that you've just been making on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is absolutely destroying the main room or whatever at Fabric. Yeah, People are exactly. going crazy. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. what then, so, so, so that was the inspiration, right? Amazing, yeah. amazing story. What does... What do you then do? What are you, are you like, right, I need to be, I need to be a producer. I need to get make music. Or were you like, I need to be a better nah. DJ. I need gigs. What was the sort of, how were you, do, how were you going to achieve your goal? Um, I achieved my goal by a bunch of stuff. I started working in the industry at that point. Um, I started working firstly, um, for, uh, a, a drum and bass and hip hop night in Bristol called Drive By, which is uh, run by this guy called Gerard. Um, started promoting that, started becoming a resident there, did that for a bit, and then I moved to London to go to university. Um, after working for Drive By, I ended up um, hooking up with like the drum and bass guys. So I ended up hooking up with Brian G and Jumping Jack Frost at the time, and they were like, yo, we're doing movement and all these parties in London. Uh, do you want to come and do what you're doing, what you're doing in Bristol and London? So I went to London and got involved in that. Um, so started, uh, uh, working in London and DJing in London at Barumba. I started playing, you know, uh, early doors there. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, it's a bit dusty in my studio. So if I'm coughing, <laughs> so, right. you know, you know what the deal is. So, um, right. 
and then uh started doing that and then i came back to bristol after then and um and then i was like what am i gonna do now i started djing for fun at a bar in bristol called e-shed on a saturday night and uh me and my mate ben daly who's a garage dj in bristol he's actually from um leicester but moved down to Bristol um, early to go to university or something. And we started jamming. And then I was like, what am I going to do? So and then... What did you do point, at uni, by the way? What had you done at uni? I, I did graphic design. Cool. And I did that internet design, and early internet design and stuff like that. So that was... Uh, obviously, I don't do that now. But um, I kind of know what I want artistically, but I, yeah. I don't really know how to do it. Um, so back to what I was saying. Uh, I came back to Bristol... I managed to get a job randomly at, uh, at a record shop called Chemical Records. And Chemical Records was originally from Cheltenham, I believe. And then they went online and they bought a website in, um, in Bristol where they sold like decks and equipment and records. Yeah, I've heard and, they wanted, and, they, and they wanted me to, to, to work front of house. Uh, it didn't end up going very well. And the, <laughs> the, the guys at Chemical Records sacked me. And on, on the day that they sacked me, I had a conversation with Danny Bird, uh, John Bates DJ that's on Hospital Records. And, uh, and yeah, yeah. And he said, uh, sort out, mate. Um, what are you doing anyway? So and then I, I was like, oh, well... I don't know, I'm at a loose end. So he was like, come to Bath. And it was like a summer's day. Got on the train, literally left Chemical Records, got on the train, went to Bath. And he's like, um, he, he wasn't, he wasn't <clears throat> really writing a lot of the time. <clears throat> I think he like, had a bit of, um, you know, a writer's block or something. And I was like really amped. And, uh, and I was like, let's write a tune. <clears throat> and me and Danny Bird wrote a tune. Um, and it was called Planet Music. And it actually came out on hospital. I don't know what date it was, but it came out on hospital. And I went under the name Adrock. And it was Danny Bird and Adrock. And it was called Planet Music. From that day, that changed my whole, again, kind of similar to the, to the fabric thing. That was a, a, a game changer for me. And I was like, right, I need to, I need to, I need to move from just being a DJ to like learning how to write. So, and then I enrolled the next day, literally I went and enrolled to, uh, to do music at, uh, at college. And I went, I, I, I rolled to Western college, which in my area was quite a big, a big, you know, like, um, red light went there and, um, a bunch of other big, big, uh, musos have all been there. So, so I was like, straight away it was like right i need to learn how to go and use logic i need to learn how to learn how to write music basically and uh yeah that was it so it was quite funny it was in one year it just seemed to kind of like i was like right i need to go and do this and it was like it was a changing point as well in the industry when it was like you couldn't just be a dj anymore there was a massive time and massive era where it was like before it was like you could be a DJ and yeah. be like Carl Cox and not have to necessarily put a tune out. You could be Judge Jules or whatever. Yeah. And uh, or Pete Tong. I always I always fine. think the last one. I always think the last one 
for me who really I mean, yeah. maybe a different scenes but i always yeah. point to yousef i'm always like yousef yeah. was the last one yeah who broke through onto an international touring scene by yeah. just being a fucking good dj yeah, i know he's gone on yourself. to release tunes but yeah. at the time he wasn't um and then it just totally changed like then it became it was almost like again i look at that point of like it's almost like the tim deluxe changing point yeah. where like just yeah. don't, just won't do comes out and suddenly you have to have a record to get yeah. international touring otherwise yeah. it's not um, a thing like, like like how are you going to be in ibiza without without a smash summer record do you know what i mean yeah. so for me it was like yeah then then i did it and um so i was going to music school and i was still doing my saturday night I'm with this guy, Ben Daly. Nice. He's amazing, amazing Bristol DJ. Um, try and check him out. He's, there's a new Bristol radio station in Bristol and he does every other Saturday. Nice. Just called Ben Daly and he plays quality house and garage music. So good. But um, me and Ben Daly, we're playing every Saturday together. And uh, what would happen is we'd play hip hop together. Then Ben would play house and garage and then I would play drum and bass and jungle at the end. Nice. And uh, <clears throat> by that point, we were absolutely KO'd. And, uh, <laughs> Sounds like a lot of fun, man. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. But in the meantime, he taught me about house music because I was hip hop and drum and bass and jungle at that point. And then he started showing me about Mars at work. Um, yeah. He started showing me about Kerry Chandler. He started showing me about Switch. The guy called Switch was a massive, massive influence Dave, on right? me. Yeah, Dave, Dave, yeah, 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 Dave, yeah. And he was Solid Groove as well. Yeah, this is so sick. Couple, what a record, Yeah, mate. This is sick. What so, a record. I mean, that was kind of the turning point for me from being a drum and bass DJ to being a house DJ. Is, um, is, uh, is Basement Jacks came out and This Is Sick came out and yeah. Jesse Rose. And I was like, wow, it's kind of like rave was happening, um, hot chip was happening. Yeah. And I was like, I had some crazy color outfits that I used to go and DJ with. <laughs> and uh, and I was in it. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. And that's when that's when I started doing it. That's when I started writing beats. And that's that's when it all changed. So so if are we am I gonna skip a huge chunk if I ask you like when the, where the got some brand became like where the name come from yeah where the baseline um, idea nah, i'm skipping a huge nah, bit nah, of nah, time no nah, or... not, not 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 really i mean um so in this new rave era um i started started a band a five piece was it a six piece band with uh with my pals um and we were called substatic and we were basically kind of a new rave trip hop band and there was a singer called Colleen, and then uh, just a bunch of my mates. We had a drummer, we had uh, a synth player, guitar player, and a violin player. It was very, it was out there. Listening back to the music now, it kind of sounded a bit like Magnetic Man. Okay. But kind of, we did all right. We got quite, we got a manager, we started putting tunes out. Um, this was before Spotify. Um, all sort of dispersed. A couple of the guys moved to London, so we weren't really practicing. We weren't really doing gigs anymore. Then uh, the manager that I bought ended up sacking me. Don't really know what the I don't really know what don't really know what the vibe was, but <laughs> bless her. Um, 
And then I got sacked, and then three members of Substatic started a new project. And at this point, this was when Dubstep was just finishing, and it was like there was like kind of that post Dubstep sort of like garagey, new garage thing. And um, three of my, yeah, it was me, Alex, and Jeff. We started this new project called Forget Me Not. Okay. And um, and I hooked up with a guy called Jamie Russell that did Hypercolor. Do you remember the label Hypercolor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Huxley and Mayor Jane Cole and all that lot came up. Yeah. And he start, He was just starting this other label called Losing Suki, which was um, sort of sister label to, to Hypercolor. And he heard a couple of the Forget Me Not tunes. And was like, yo, I'm putting this out. So I was like, this is great. A couple of them had risky samples in. We did the garage uh, tune with um, with Mary J. Blige called Big Tinks, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, EZ used to play r- crazily. And then we did a tune, um, Stronger, which I sampled. Um, Mary, uh, no, who does sample? Uh, Amy Winehouse used to be stronger than me and I pitched her down so she sounded like a man um and again that got picked up and Pete Tong was playing that um which is crazy and then finally um one of the guys Jeff uh wrote this kind of like slow-mo jungle tune called How Long and uh amazingly uh amazingly yeah another DJ picked it up is Lauren Garney picked it up wow and then we just, and we were like, wow, this is great. We never thought that we were going from being in a band to, to doing this. We never thought it was going to, never thought it was going to be like that. So, so we started writing, we, we wrote a tune with Neo, oh, Neo, you know, Neo? That- She's um, a big, art, you know, R&B singer, yeah. sings with like disclosure and stuff. We did a song with her. We did a bunch of other songs, and so that that sort of rolled on for about a year or so, and then and then Jeff moved to London. Were you gigging? Like, was that was that trio sort of? Were you gigging together? How <laughs> yeah, did you we gig? Did you gig? Th- did you gig? There was the three of you at the yeah. gigs, or how did you do it? It was it was it was me and Jeff because uh, Alex yeah. and DJ. Um, yeah. Alex was always more of a, a studio guy. He was an engineer. Um, so me and Jeff did that, and then but Jeff moved to um, London, so we weren't really getting to, it was mainly me and Alex in the studio at the time, uh, just cause Jeff was in London. So off the back of that, I guess we started, um, we started got some, and it was funny because, um, there was a middle time where actually, um, baseline, I think maybe was a forget me not tune at the time. Right. And then no one picked up on it. It's funny. Um, I sent it to Annie and Pete and, kissy sellout on everyone at the time and no one um no one picked up on it and there was one person that really really like really really had my back and that was b traits yeah and b traits was just coming through at the time and she was like smashing out kind of like where jaguar is now yeah she was like in you know really introducing all the youngsters you know like bringing in everyone and um she Pete Tong went on holiday or was sick or something and Beatrix took over took over his show one night and ended up like starting the show with Baseline 
And um, I remember waking up to loads of messages and DMs from defecting, <laughs> saying, oh, my God, what's this record? <laughs> and I was like, wow. Um, I was like, wow, I never thought that would happen. And then next thing I know, I was in the defected office with Simon Dunmore and Andy D, Andy, D, Andy Daniels, and um, we were signing the record, you know. And obviously, at that point, um, Jeff had definitely moved to London, and I was like, didn't really want to like carry on, forget me not and Russ, or not be together. Yeah, <clears throat> with three people, it's re- with a trio, it's really important. I feel that you're creating in the studio together, otherwise it gets quite disjointed. And some yeah. people like this, some people like that. So, and then I guess I started um, got some off the back of that, and it was me and Alex. And um, where'd the name come from, man? Came from a funk record. I okay. sampled this funk record, um, and uh, and it was the the break. The drum beat was called "Have You Got Some," and uh, and I was like, "Yeah, I like that." We were just like, "God, what are we gonna call ourselves?" Da, da, da. And then yeah, and then it was just like, uh, "Yeah, got some with a capital G and a capital S." That was that 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 was important. I had to write it on my um, on my bio because I kept getting people doing got some without the capital s and it was like oh my god dilemma but anyway um, (laughs) as well problems (laughs) yeah obviously um but yeah that's kind of how and then how did so how did so so i mean it's it's about you in whole but obviously you know the the baseline thing is a really big part of it how did how did so and i'm always super interested in this from the point of sort of writing it to the point of you being sat in the office with Simon and Andy, to the yeah. point of it being released, and then how did it change your life after that? Talk us through the journey from like the inception of the yeah. idea right through to what it what it what it, what it happened, what it created yeah. for you. So the whole thing with baseline is quite funny. I I had a studio on my own um, in above a metal workshop. I think it's like a, a motor gear shop. So they build metal gears, <clears throat> and I, uh, my studio was above there. And I, uh, I basically, my friend from Manchester had a band called the Get Along Gang, and it was him and his girlfriend and his girlfriend's best mate. And uh, he used to write the beats, and she sang, and uh, her best mate danced, and they were like choreographers. And um, he was like, "You guys should do a remix of our tune." baseline um so i was like yeah send me the parts i'll go to the studio and i'll write i'll do the remix for you so i i sat there i wrote a really massive kick and i was like going through it i started writing some claps and so i got it and then i looked in my dropbox and uh all i could see was the vocal and i was like oh man send me the rest of the parts like so i put the vocal in and then I waited like another, went and I got lunch, came back, still no parts. So and then I was like, dude, I'm just going to write this tune now with with the vocals. So you're either going to send me the parts or not send me the parts. And then I think he was like, oh, then don't worry about it. So and then I ended up like, whilst I was waiting for him to send me the parts, um, I was listening to this tune, um, No Way Back, a classic, classic tune called no way back and it's by a, a, a guy called adonis proper old chicago don 
and I kept listening to No Way Back, and it's got a bass dum 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 dum, like proper like craft work. Like you knew Adonis was listening to craft work, so I was like, I was like, oh wicked. And then um, my pal came out, and, then we, and I was like, look, I want to write this beat, boom 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 boom. So and then I had this is my bass line, boom 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 boom, just rolling and rolling around, and then I put some keys to it. Um, and then, and then I left the studio and, and kept listening to the tune. I was like, "Yo, this tune works." So and then it was a get along gang, forget me not remix for a bit. Um, no one was playing it. So and then what I did is I um, spoke to my pal and I was like, "Do you mind if I put forget me not next to it to see if anyone picks it up?" And he was like, "Cool, might as well because his tune didn't come out at the time." So it was like, "Let's just make something of it." And then, um, so I put Forget Me Not on it, sent it to Beatrix. And Beatrix is again, like, linking back to what I said, sent it to Annie, sent it to Tong, everyone. Like, no one was really, no one was really feeling it. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then, and then Beatrix played it. Um, and then obviously saying, moved it to Got Some. And then all of a sudden it was mad. I, and what's the, what's the timeline on that? Can you remember the timeline? You remember the first day that you worked about, in the studio with the acapella to, to be yeah, playing it? It was about 14 months. Wow. About that. Yeah, it was a long time, man. Wow. <clears throat> so my tip for users, don't think because no one's in it or no one's playing it, don't think it's, it's not trash. Keep... If you think a tune's a tune, keep rolling it, keep doing it, keep part, keep sending it to people. I remember seeing an interview with um, DJ Crust the other day, um, and he said about his main song, uh, Stepper, Warhead, he said he played it at the parties for three years, two years, on dub plate, and he said it would clear dance floors. And obviously now, that's like one of the biggest drum and bass jungle tunes out there. You know, everyone in the world in drum and bass uh, played that, you know. So please don't give up on stuff. And it's funny, I remember um, I was in America at the time and I remember um, getting a message from Animax saying, oh my God, I've just heard your new song bass, like, got some. <laughs> and I was there like, oh man, like, I sent it before. I sent it like 14 months before. And so... And not not dissing Annie, I'm not no, dissing no, no, Pink it's because just, it's just how the industry works. Right? It's, it's just how it works, and and it's and I think I just want to hammer home that to producers like coming up now. It's like, don't give up. Like, also like just keep sending your music to people and just keep working, keep writing, and and you know, someone might pick that song up from three years ago that you're blue in the face and tied off, yeah, and that might become a beat port top 10 you know so no you've, you've really you've got that man how much did it did it did it change your life was it was it as simple as that did that one record change your yeah, life I mean, or was it I part mean, of a longer journey well, i mean it's always part of a journey but did it really change things journey. did it really just change things overnight for you it went i mean I, again i was djing at bars at the time yeah. and um my friend and manager who came and got involved in the uh in the project he was like how, what do you want to do after you sign this deal? <clears throat> and I was like, I want to stop. I was DJ. I'm going to name and shame it. I was DJing in this bar in Bristol called Embargo. And it was like, everyone goes there. You could be like the coolest hipster to like 
the cheesiest chavy dude or whatever everyone ends up there i was playing in there on sunday nights and stuff and uh and i told my manager at the time ross i was like mate just get me out of embargo <laughs> and we're doing all right and um fair play to him big up ross he got me out of it and uh and i never looked back you know so um so that was a turning point for me but it's still a longer process, you know. And then yeah. when you, as an act, when you come in and you've got like a hit or whatever, then you're stuck because you've got to have a follow-up. And I guess that was what made it quite hard for me and Alex because obviously me and that, when it became the dynamics between me and Alex is that Alex was um, an engineer and I was a DJ. Yeah. Um, and we spent years and years together making this music and being i guess an act yeah but and then all of a sudden i was on tour flying around the world um and he was in the studio on his own and it was tricky man we had such a a tricky time because um obviously i missed him he missed me we weren't writing together and then all of a sudden it was like oh alex you've got to come up with a hit now <laughs> and adam you've got to go and earn loads of money and dj everywhere and then it was like and then a year later, we're just like, God, like, how, you know, how, how are we going to do it? And it was really hard because, you know, we needed to be in a studio together. And it was really hard for him when I wasn't there and, and vice versa. And I guess, like, I guess looking back on it, I wish I was more of a technical uh, engineer producer and he was maybe more of a DJ. And I think looking back on it, we would, um, we would, be challenging the world together at the time and that and that obviously broke us apart you know at the end of that year and that's when i started becoming got some solo okay. i started moving guests and then you know and then i started writing a bunch of stuff and then i did the kanye west edit um of fade and i guess that was a a, a big part for me and that was you know that was me on my own um, I, me and Alex are still really, really close. I share, I share a studio with him. Like, they, <laughs> like, like, like me and him, like we're like bros. Like, like, you know, I, I, I really struggle to work. Like, I work with him now. I love working with him now. Uh, like, I can't trust anyone with my mix downs. Like, his ears for me are like, are like, you know, gold. So can, big can up, talents. Can, can I ask you about um, about pump it up? Because yes, because oh, I yeah, yeah. so so because from from my point of view, right? I yeah. I remember getting the promo for your pump it up, right? Yeah, and I was like, oh, this is dope. And I played it at some gigs, and I was yeah. like, yeah, this is gonna this is gonna smash, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. then I wasn't really concentrating because obviously it wasn't my my tune or whatever. Yeah. And then the next thing I know, I'm like. Oh, that's pump. That's a different. What version is that? Like, and then it yeah. was like it played out on the radio or whatever. And I was like, end I was like, what? No, that was Godson that did mm. that. And then like, yeah. and then obviously that track just blew up to fuck. Like, yeah. In from your point of view, what happened yeah. there? Right. I, was, well, I guess kind of long story again. Like big ups, Dan. Um, I don't oh, yeah. really know. Yeah, of course. I don't. I don't really know Dan very well, so um, I I don't really have a opinion on that. But when I, I'll I'll tell you what happened for me. Yeah. What happened for me is I went to BPM in when it was in Mexico. The last time it was in Mexico, I don't know how many years ago that was. And I went 
<clears throat> to Circa Loco, and it was in a jungle. And uh, the end, <clears throat> the, <clears throat> excuse me, the two DJs that were playing at the end uh, were Martinez brothers and Seth Troxler. And, uh, and, uh, <clears throat> and they were playing the best set um, of the whole festival for me. And the last tune that Seth Troxler played on vinyl was a tune called Pump It Up. By Denzel? Is that right? No, 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 no. This is where Endor kind of went wrong. Right. It's by it's by um, a band called the Black and White Brothers. Right. <clears throat> and it was okay. a, a original, original vinyl, right? Okay. And if you listen to his version and my version, there's a mid, there's a middle bit, right? And the Black and White Brothers <clears throat> is is the is the original is original sample source. And the Black and White they've got like a soul bit in the middle, which is really soulful and actually quite defectiveness. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, and I I went home and kind of forgot about it. And then uh, I was looking through my holiday snaps, and uh, and I saw this video of of uh, Pump It Up, Black and White Brothers. And I was like, I called Seth up, and I was like, Yo, what's that tune? What is it? And he eventually told me it was Black and White Brothers. So and then I went back to the studio and I I wrote an edit. It was a DJ edit. That's what it was, a DJ edit. Um, and I sat on it for a bit. I didn't play it for anyone. Literally didn't play it to anyone. It was a DJ talk for me. And then um, Annie Mack called, uh, emailed me and said, um, it's Lost and Found Festival. And uh, that year, um, did I have anything? Actually, actually, let's fast forward that. I remember something before. I went to ADE just after um, that year after being at BPM. So, um, so with whenever uh, ADE is, and uh, October, I, yeah, and I took it. So it must have been I must have been sitting on it for ages. So it was October. I went to ADE and uh, I played it to a few people. Um, played it to the guys from Armada. And um, I actually, tr I actually tried to give it to the guys from Defected, but no, that never ended up happening. Um, and then I actually played it on. If you look at my SoundCloud, I went to play on Amsterdam Radio, and I played all my new tracks, and I played "Pump It Up" just to prove to everyone that it was way, way, way before. Um, and then nothing happened again. I sat on it. No one picked up. The guys from Armada said that they were interested, but then it, you know, it was just sort of like bubbling along at that point. And that's when Annie Mac emailed me. So that's April or May after that October. Oh, wow. um, and 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 they and Annie was like, "Have you got anything for me?" I was like, "Yeah, I've got this um, Black and White Brothers edit called Pump It Up." She battered it she played it on the first night after dennis salt and black madonna um and there was some video of uh all of the you know little gay brothers and they were all just pumping it up um if you look back on my instagram it is there um and then that's the day that was when uh armada came to me and they were like yeah we're interested now after suddenly, they saw suddenly, that suddenly, yeah 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 so suddenly there's loads of fucking social media and a record label's interested. Yeah. What a fucking surprise. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's another conversation. Um, 
and then and then it sort of bubbled along and then Annie basically was like can I play it on radio I turned around to her and said no you can't play it on radio because of what happened before I was like I preferred to get the sample cleared to see if I could do a remix of it or edit of it make it official somehow yeah she was like okay and then it got to Glastonbury and there was still hold ups with the record label the sample wasn't getting cleared it was hold up with BMG da, 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 da. Um, and then can I play it at Glastonbury and can I play it at Lovebox and I was like throw caution to the wind let's do it and hope that it goes well because obviously with the Kanye thing it, it, it that went really well, well because, yeah. because she supported me um, and then uh, she there was a massive video like loads of people videoed it at Lovebox um, and everyone was asking who was it she was saying it was me it was me it was me um, and then and then a couple of weeks ago I think it was South by Southwest or Sam Devine played an edit of Pump It Up and everyone kept messaging me saying Oh, we saw Sam Devine play your edit of Pump It Up. <laughs> uh, I was like, funny that, because I'm pretty sure I gave it to Sam Devine about three, two years ago at ADE. But anyway, um, so yeah. And then, and then I, uh, after a bit of like searching a few of my friends finding out, I found out that Endor had done it. And I DM'd Endor and said, oh, mate, um, I think we've used the same sample. And uh, he goes, what, the Denzel sample? Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. I was like... What's that? And then I was like, Google Denzel. And then Denzel did a... Bless Denzel. He did quite a shit EDM. Excuse my friend. He did a quite rubbish EDM version that came out on... uh, Came out on Ultra in 2003 or something. Yeah. And I obviously didn't start, I sampled the original, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and then we had some um, brief conversations. He told me it was just a remix and an edit and it, well, nothing was going to come of it. And then uh, my manager talked to his manager. I don't know what's true or not. His manager said that he heard it maybe on Annie Mac or he heard it at a festival, he shazammed it or whatever, didn't know it was me, thought it was um, Denzel. He did his edit. Um, at this point, obviously, Sam Devine's battering it, and then later I find out that he did a, a, a deal with Defected. And uh, what was kind of hard, really, is that it came out a day in between each other. I, yeah, I couldn't understand. Yeah, I couldn't understand that because I got your promo, but, and then I looked back at the defective release and was like, "What? Why? What?" But also, like for me, there's a couple of things. Like I've sampled loads of people. Yeah, I've sampled Adonis baseline. That wasn't my baseline. That's Adonis baseline. I've uh, I did an edit of Kanye West. Yeah, and that record became the hottest record uh, on Radio One the day before Kanye released his version. Yeah. That he'd done a whole video thing and it was at the VMAs and everything. So don't get me wrong, like... The whole industry's built on sampling, do you know yeah. what I mean? And, and, yeah. And furthermore, like, I can't sit there and cuss someone for sampling. Um, 
I've got, um, you know, I, I, I can't, I can't sit there and cuss down for that. But what, what I can say is like, yeah, for me, I, I would have kind of been a bit more honest about it, but, but then all the heads know that I, you know, that I wrote that. And if you listen to, listen to his and mine back to back, mine has got the original sample. It yeah. took, it took, uh, nine months clear because I didn't use just pump it up. Yeah. I used the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, I, and I've credited them. I've given them all that money. Not yeah. Denzel. I've get, you know, yeah, yeah. the black and white brothers, you know, so. It's just, so, I, yeah, it's, I, I mean, it's, I just think it's a, it's just a, a brutal insight into how the music industry can operate really. And it's, it, it is, mm. it is, it's a strange one because like you say, you can't really blame anyone else for sampling any other record that's out there because that's, yeah. that's the deal. I mean, we, we taking you back to what we were chatting about before, I mean, very different situation to yours granted, but the piano record that I sent Clem, like, yeah. We, I had um, Love is the Answer, the old Blind Faith acapella on it. Yeah. And like, I was yeah. using that. And then, you know, Chris Lake and Alan Van Helden dropped it like two weeks ago. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, now I'm, yeah. no, there's no way I'm going to go, well, Chris Lake and Alan Van Helden can't sample that. But any record that's out there yeah. can be sampled by anyone at any point. Yeah. The yeah. problem is where the grey area, and we'll leave it after this comment, unless you've got something to yeah. say, where the grey area comes in is if you hear, as a producer, if you hear someone else's edit and then go and do your edit and then get it out, you know, then that then it starts to get into a yeah. grey area. But as far as the music industry and sampling... I, I, I think the key is just reaching out. I mean, I, I had relatively same thing with one of my friends. He showed me an edit and, and then I, I did an edit of it. I didn't know that he had edited it. And then I did an edit. It was completely different. And then it, my edit ended up getting signed in the end you know so for me but for me my problem is is not communicating so when i had done that i called my friend up and i was like yo i did this yeah do you mind it do you mind that i do that you, you know like like i i credit that guy for for showing me it but the thing for me is that he didn't do that so and fair play also like i want to shout down because he did something that i didn't do i didn't make a commercially viable tune. I made an edit for me. Yeah. I didn't put loads of like claps and da da da. I didn't make a tech house tune. I made yeah. a soulful house. I made a soulful house edit. Yeah. Of a tune that I had for DJ. That was, it, it, you know, you know, that's it. And then he's gone on and done. And another thing for me is like, he's gone on and done another thing, you know, like he's done that other tune. Um, I can't remember what it's called. And yeah, that's done well. What's that sample? You yeah. know, yeah, um, uh, that Be Beethoven or yeah. um, one, one of them ones. If, uh, what, um, and I, I think, respect him, and he's got Beatport 100, Beatport, top, you know, number one or whatever. So for me, like, he got something from it that he found. Um, and I, I think that's cool. So bless up to him. What, what are people going to, what are people, so you've been writing these records, we've been in lockdown, we've got, or I certainly have positive hopes for 2021 that we're going to get back out DJing and partying together. What what music, like, what are people going to hear from you? Have you got anything that's signed and, and scheduled for release? What if, if, yeah. if what, what are just, people going to hear from you in the future? I've got loads of things. So again, going back to kind of what we started to talk about at the start was, um, was at the start of lockdown, obviously, when I first started Got Some, Got Some was a crossover house act, kind of. Uh, it wasn't really necessarily underground. And then throughout the time that I've been going, I slowly started making it 
more underground. And then and then COVID happened, and then I was like, right, I was going to do some more poppy stuff that was good on uh, a little bit better on Spotify and da da da. And then I did the tune with Clem, and obviously now. I've kind of done that. So uh, I've just spent the last six months working with vocalists. I've been working with too, too many to mention, really. And um, yeah, things are starting to get signed now. But the other thing for me is just like, just knowing who got some ears. Like, I think I got a bit lost. once When I was DJing a lot, I think I wanted Got Some to be something something that it wasn't. And now I feel doing these vocal tunes like what I did with Clem, Caught in Your Rhythm, to me that sounds like it got some tune. Cool. Um, and, and I've done, just done another tune that's going to come out early next year. Again, it's it's crossover appeal, but it sounds like it got some. It's got a bass line on it. It's got a catchy hook in it. You know, that's that's my thing. You know, that's what got some is, you know. So, so yeah, I mean, that's happening. Also, um, I've started an alias I'm not going to talk about necessarily. It's, um, it's going to come out next year and the year after. Um, it's going to be a record label. It's going to be a party. It's already a radio show. Nice. Um, it's on Swoo FM in Bristol now, which is a massive, massive, um, kind of community radio station, which is on the FM quite like rinse in London. It's on the FM. Um, it's spelled uh, S-W-U um, F-M um, and you can uh, check it online and everyone is DJing on there. Everyone that you know and respect from Bristol um, whether it be dubstep, drum and bass, house, techno like everyone's on it so make sure you go and check it. So I've started a new show there under this new alias um, but I kind of want people to find it organically I don't want it to be like, oh, got some doing techno or got some doing deep house. It's like, nah, I'm doing something different. I might not even release on it. I might release other people's music on it and create something that's a little bit bigger. Um, I want it to be more of a thing in that you listen to the radio show, you like the music on the radio show, then you hear the, what's coming out on the record label and then you want to go to the party because of that. So there's more of a cycle. It's not just bang, bang, bang. It's like, oh, it's an organic thing that you want to be involved in, that you want to, you, you want to nurture, you know? So that's kind of, that's kind of what I'm doing behind the got something. Nice, man. It's, I mean, I'm, I'm uh, really aware of the, the Bristol heritage the bristol scene like it's 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 you know it's given birth to so many amazing artists over the years and it seems like it's had a real influence on you i mean from your mum being involved in it you know in in the 80s or whatever to you starting yeah. to go out there um and it's a real melting pot of cultures and sounds and djs and inspirations um, yeah it'll be interesting to see it'll be interesting to see what comes out musically in 2021 because there's gonna yeah. be so, so many producers you know, without 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 a summer of festivals, without a summer of big tunes, without a summer of yeah. Instagram <clears throat> stories and whatever else to lead yeah. us, you know, we're all going to have been left to our own devices to make yeah. the music that we want to make. I just want it to be positive and I don't want the industry to be flooded. Like, I really don't want it to be flooded because, like, that's going to be confusing for people as well. Also, <clears throat> I do feel 
I know we haven't really talked about it, but about the raves that are happening, you know, there's there's going to be a lot of music and culture that comes out of them raves. Like obviously, when I was a kid, I was going to raves and free parties, and kids these days maybe didn't have that because they would go to warehouse project or fabric yeah. or da da da. And I, and obviously, like if you were 15 or 19 right now, you'd be going to raves. Quite a lot of people are going to raves, you know. Obviously, I haven't been, but there's um, a lot of people that are going to raves, and they're going to be hearing certain music in them raves, and they're going to be watching certain DJs in them raves. And I feel that's going to be changing. That's going to that's going to be pushing a lot of people into the limelight that Nesta has, might might not have had the chance, you know. Also, I want to shout out. Um, I've noticed at the start of lockdown and throughout the summer, there's a DJ called Alicia, um, who's doing what, doing a, like a bunch of raves and stuff. She's been doing like social distance raves, and um, I'm not necessarily into the music that she plays or or the vibe that she's doing, but I really respect kind of what she's done in that she's DJed a couple years at a Bodo, like a couple of the parties, and and then she's come off the back kind of like when no one's watching and it's like right alicia she's gonna invite her pals around to dj who are relatively unknown everyone's gonna play at social distance raves and she did like a sold out tour in the summer wow kind you know and i respect that i think that's really cool i mean i think if my new project was as further far as long as where she is i would have done that you know and maybe if lockdown carries on i think with my new project that grassroots thing and plan. I'm really into it. I think that's cool. So shout out to her. I think that's a great look. Nice one, man. Well, we're going to do um, a couple of little bits to wrap up the podcast. But before yeah. we do that, shout out yourself. Like, any, If people want to find out more about you, if people want to find out yeah. more about the radio show, anything you want to give a shout out to for people to go on Google and find some links, yeah. what, what, where should go? people go and check you out? Just that i got some DJ. So just all my handles that got some DJ. So my SoundCloud, um, my Spotify and Instagram. Uh, if you want to have some banters with me, I guess chat to me on Twitter because that's the most direct banter thing. Um, regarding the new thing, I think you just got to find it. You just got to work it out. Um, nice. I'm not, when I do that show, I play everything. I'll play hip hop. I'll play classic house music. I'll play grassroots hit, um, like techno, like Detroit techno. And then I'll, you know, like, so if you, if you like got some, then I, it, I won't play necessarily play got some tune on there. So, you know, that's the whole concept behind the new thing, you know? Cool. Right. I'm going to hit you with some, to start wrapping up. There's a few things that I like, yeah, to do, yeah. but to start wrapping yeah. up, I'm going to hit you with some quick fire questions. There's yeah. some serious ones and some silly ones. You can give me an answer. You can give me a paragraph, whatever you like. It's just a yeah. little bit of like silly quick fire to round it yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. What is, you turn up to a gig, uh, what is your drink of choice on the rider? Uh, I've got two drinks of choices. My first drink, uh, which everyone despises me for, is vodka Red Bull. Um, <laughs> I started really drinking vodka Red Bull when I was touring. and uh, You wouldn't really have it on the first night, but when it came to Friday or Saturday, you definitely want to have it because you would end up sleeping in the hotel and you'd end up waking up at 10 o'clock, grabbing a bite to eat, literally a bite. And then you'd be in the club and you'd be like, right, 
I need something that's gonna one put, get me on a level with the rest of the crowd yeah. and be wake me up, and I'll do that with a slice of lime because I hate Red Bull. So you'd have to like lace it up with with lime to try and make it not taste like Volca Red Bull. Um, and then my other one was I got, became later was really good quality tequila, and I'd have it on ice with a slice of orange. Yeah. So um, like Don Julio. Just have a have a light or dark Don Julio with loads of ice. And um, the thing about what I learned when I was in Mexico is that um, alcohol on a whole is opiate. So alcohol makes you go to sleep. It, you know. And when you have um, tequila, it's, it's actually an upper. So agave, which they make tequila out of, is, is an upper. This is sugar. So Nice. So, yeah, there you go. Favourite? city that you've ended up being in due to DJing so somewhere that you'd never have would have gone before you'd never have been on holiday or anything you just ended up being there because you had a show and then you ended up just kind of going wow this place is amazing yeah a couple of places random places I guess like Canterbury is one of them <laughs> they like ra- randomly in Canterbury shout mate shout yeah yeah and I'd be like go to London then you get a train from London for two hours and then you're like in Kent and you're like and you turn up in Canterbury. And big ups to guys that used to um, book me in, in Canterbury. Those guys are wicked. Um, and I hope one day soon that I could play there again. But yeah, it's, it's like, it's just a nice town. <laughs> and they've got, they've got Skinny Kitchen there. Do you know Skinny Kitchen that you have in Ibiza? Yeah. They've got Skinny Kitchen in, in there. Another random place is Norwich. It's like <laughs> the regional it. regional god Norwich. Obviously, Alan Parches is from yeah, Norwich. Um, but but yeah, always have a really good time in uh, in Norwich. This guy called Jux Juxtaposition, uh, and he did a night called Deep Rooted, and all of us like everyone like Route ninety four, Gorgon, MK. We all used to play there, and we'd all like go there on a Thursday. And we'd like we'd end up like staying in the hotel for like four days and like having parties and stuff. So big up all the Norwich gang. They love Wicked. they love a rave they do. First club that you went to, like first proper club. You might not have been eighteen, but first proper like nightclub you went to. Can you remember? Mm, yeah, probably Lakota um, in Bristol, and they used to do a night on a Friday night called Temptation, and uh, and it was like. Hard house, like handbag house, hard house in the main room. John Please Women and like wow. Judge Jules and that. And then in the back room, they used to have like Ronnie Size and Goldie and stuff. Nice. So yeah, and I and I was very, very young and I shouldn't have been there. But best, I was there. Best, best way, mate. Um, yeah. Track that's influenced you the most uh, in your career? Uh... Well, it's too many to mention. Probably one of the ones that really influenced me is by, by a guy called Bob James. And it's called Nautilus. And it's quite hard. I don't think he's on Spotify. It's, uh, it got re-released on Eureka Soul. Wow. Which Master Work, I think, did an edit of. But Bob James, he plays piano and stuff. Bob James. I'm going to go and check that out. So you get something through post-COVID, you get an email through from your booking agent or whatever, your manager, and you've got a lineup on there. It can be, you know, wherever it is in the world or in in Canterbury or Norwich. But you see that you're on before someone um, and you're like, oh, wow, 
that's going to be great because I'm just going to get to play exactly what I want to play. I'm not going to have to really taper it at all. I'm going to get yeah. to play exactly what I want to play. And then when I pull my headphones out, I'm going to have the best couple hours because I'm either going to be in the booth yeah. watching whatever they're playing or I'm going to be on the yeah. floor losing my shit. Who's that DJ that you're just like, oh, that is just perfect. I'd love to warm up for them. Oh my God, that's quite a hard question. Again, there's like so many. I mean, maybe someone like Bicep cool um but then like what i'm putting out right now is totally different to what bicep does you know so i don't know i mean i've i've, I've done some of those gigs like i remember playing at um at hideout and i remember playing before duke de mont when uh all the duke de mont's really good tunes came out and i had yeah. that moment where i just like played my set and then he came on and just did his thing and it was it just like you know, it just it seamlessly went, and uh, and that was a a really good experience for me. But yeah, bicep. I mean, I've got loads of like people that I'm into, but but also I guess like with what I'm doing, we've got some the kind of the more vocally stuff. You know, it's it's a bit different now. Um, and I've started this new thing, which is super underground, which which would um allow me to play with pretty much any one on an underground lineup, you know, so. I think that Duke Jamat answer nailed it for me, mate. It was, yeah. It was wicked. I'm going to, so you, we all know that kind of like famous clip of, of Coxie um, knocking out his set, you know, the last set of space and him yeah. finishing yeah, sure. with Angie Brown and stuff. So my question is, if I put you in that sort of position and you were going to play the last record at like an iconic, you know, space or or whatever, is there a yeah. record that would, would, and I'm asking you to to make this easier. I'm asking you who's got some, right? So if got some's yeah. playing that last uh, uh, emotional, <clears throat> emotive record, what would you yeah. be reaching for in that situation if you were going to try and convey that level of emotion and the finality of something? Yeah, there's a couple. I want to quickly tell you a Carl Cox story. Go. Um, I I go to Burning Man quite a lot, and um, uh, one of the last Burning Mans I went to, I was uh sun was rising in the middle of the desert i just randomly met like five um five kiddies from i don't know where they're from derby or somewhere and we were having this most amazing emotional time and then <laughs> coming out of the desert we saw carl cox right and carl cox greets us and hugs us well, i've got a, a photo on my instagram somewhere and uh he goes come over here i'm playing at this at this uh this sound system called playground and he comes and he um and he plays this like amazing two-hour set and he plays all hip-hop disco and funk and i usually only seen coxie play banging techno so i was like bowled over by this and and it really like hammered home to me about how amazing of a dj is amazing selector he is but also like given that opportunity to take people on a journey and uh and i and i really respect that really love that so big up coxie and that that set at burning man oh my god it's absolutely blew my mind um so going back to what you said penultimate got some set last tune yeah, it Maybe could even be like it could even be like you know, like March, and you were booked to do a gig, and you knew that everything you know lockdown yeah. was coming in nine months, and you knew yeah. this was the last record you were going to play on a sound system for maybe even yeah. a year. What sort of thing might you reach for? Like maybe Strings of Life. 
maybe Strings of Life, um, maybe Guy Called Gerald, you know, his, his tune. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's, there's so many. Or even like, even like a disco or boogie tune or even like R&B tune. Like, that's what I mean. Like, I'm like, like, like when you, when you see me DJ in a, in a bar or something like that, like last couple of times I've DJed at Pikes, um, I've DJed at like Seth Trox's birthday parties and stuff like that. And, um, and you get, you see all these big DJs and they come up to you and they're like, I never knew you did this. And I'll be like, I'll be playing like, um, you know, like proper boogie and stuff like that. I'll be playing like, um, I don't know. I'm, like so many names to mention, but like just playing like the gap band or something like that. And they all come up and they're like, never knew you did that. So it's like, that's kind of like asking me what my last tune would be. I don't know. I just, just I'm quite like a out there DJ. So sometimes I'll just like play candy stat and it's quite cheesy or I'd play like, Moss at work tune or I don't know. Yeah. yeah nice man. That's a great I, I, I'm going to say strings of life. Oh, I'm going to say great, strings of life. That's a great answer, man. But what I'm going to do is this is, so this is the, this is the penultimate thing. I'm yeah. going to get you to curate a sort of a dream gig. Like it's just in the moment. It's just fantasy. So yeah. first of all, we need like a venue where we're going to have it. It can be a real venue, like a club that, you know, like fabric, it can be a generic thing, like a basement club or a festival on a beach. Yeah. Um, but we need a place where it's going to take place. And I want three, three acts. There's not so much a, a warm up and a middle and a headline. There's just sort of yeah. three co-headlines. It is whatever you want it to be. So it's dead or alive. It's back to backs. It's DJs, it's band, it's live acts, whatever you want. This is just a got some, yeah. Like dream gig. Where are we gonna have it? We're gonna have it at this club that used to be in Bristol called Level. And um it was dark and sweaty and it had like five hundred people in it. Nice. And uh, it was really cool because it was like you walk downstairs and it was dark and then the bar bit had this like kind of open um panoramic view of Bristol. Um, and it was really cool. Uh, so you get there sometimes on a summer night and it was the sunset would just be going down and then you'd go and you'd party there for that night. Who would I have, um, on the lineup? You can play or you can just curate your own. It's totally up to you. Yeah. Master at work, hundred percent. Little Lou Vega and, um, Kenny Dope. Hundred percent. Um, Maybe Laurent Garnier as well. Nice, yeah, solid. Just because, he, this. just because he's just like such a hero. Is the Don? Um, I've recently been listening to Tiger's podcast. I don't know if you've listened to Tiger's I podcast, before. but I do love Tiger. It's really important if you're doing podcasts. Okay, there's one music podcast I really recommend you to listen to. Okay, there's about ten of them. Okay, and um, he he is one of them, and. After listening to them, he does it. He chats to both Benji B and Fortat. I would definitely get Benji B and Fortat because they're both. For me, I listen to Benji B show like weekly, and he plays great music. Fortat, the fact that he's not a DJ, came a DJ late in the game, but he can go and play a grime record or garage record. 
and then play a techno record. I really respect that. And I guess that's maybe um, something I kind of regret has got some. As I guess I feel like when I go and DJ, I feel that people expect high energy got some. And sometimes maybe I don't want to do that. And maybe I want to play um, melodic techno or maybe I want to play um, R&B. I remember seeing Soul Clap and they were like in their peak of like their cool house stuff. And I remember seeing them um, at a festival and they played an R&B set. And I remember all the cool kids were like going crazy because they didn't play any techno. And I was like, that's amazing. That's so good to be in. But doesn't that bring it back to what you said before, which is that we are now defined as artists by the records of which we release. When when 20 years ago, you weren't defined by the records you released. You were defined by being a good DJ. So people were much more open to whatever, you know, Sanchez played or whatever, because he was a DJ. You weren't going, oh, you've got to play this record. Because you were um, respected as a selector. Yeah. And now you're got some, that DJ that plays that song. Yeah. If that makes sense. And for me, for me with my new project, again, that I'm not kind of saying too much about or, (laughs) or blowing about is I want it, that whole movement. I want it to be a movement. I want people, um, to come to the party, whether I'm playing or not. If I do a party, I might not play, but I might have, a bunch of friends that are going to play like-minded music that you've selected yeah. to play with. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. Not, not even I've selected, but I trust them yeah. as selectors. That's what and I mean. Gonna, That's what I mean. And, 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 and they're, so all the people that are going to come to the party, they're going to be like, yeah, this is a vibe. I've noticed it quite recently with, um, there's a guy on, uh, he plays like hip hop and R&B and stuff on, um, beats. He's called Joe K and he, there's a, a radio thing. He's called selection radio. And he's done it. He's very homegrown, very sort of millennial. And it started from the bottom. He's from LA. And he's got a whole crew around the world. Like literally every corner of the world. And he could put that DJ and put that brand selection, selection, and people will go there because of that. And I, I like that. I respect that. I think that's cool. Even if you're not into the music, it's about creating a thing, a culture, a brand, a movement that people were like, yeah, I'm into that. I like that. I like what they play, you know? And I think that's key. I don't know if that really answered your question. But... doesn't matter. It's a phenomenal thing to say. I would totally agree with yeah. you. So last thing I want you to do is, we've been chatting for like an hour and a half. It's been a phenomenally yeah, wow. interesting. <laughs> no, it's been a phenomenally interesting, engaging chat. Like I didn't know yeah. too much about you as a person. Obviously, we've never met, but this chat's yeah, been yeah, sure. absolutely amazing. Amazing, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. What, what I'd love you to do is... Pick a record that's going to play out the audio podcast. Um, it can be anything. It can be one of yours. It can be something you heard yesterday. It can be something from you know your childhood. It can be anything you want. It's basically just in the moment now. People have been listening to us have a chat. You know, l- listen to your views on stuff. And I want you to introduce yeah. the record that people are going to hear and tell them why you would like them to listen to it. I would like, um, I would like you to listen to. One of my old tunes. Well, it's not that old. And it came out on King Street. Um, and it's called The Mac. And uh, it's. I was listening to a lot of US Garage when I wrote this song. And also the day that I wrote this song, a rapper called Craig Mack died. Um, and that 
that was the thing. And it's a proper garage tune. And I think, I don't know how many people listen to it. So I kind of like, you know, like as a producer, you've got a couple of tunes that maybe people didn't pick up on or maybe people didn't, your audience don't really like. But I was like, that's, that's like a deep house garage banger. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. Thanks, so, yeah, that's it's it. been it's been amazing to chat to you. I hope that we bump yeah. into each other next year at AD. Yeah, hundred percent. So yeah. thank you so much for taking the time to chat, and I'll see you again yeah. soon, man. Nice, big ups. Felix Lighters in the house, the podcast about DJs, what they do, and who they are.